So, we're going to talk about giving thanks this morning. We're, we're beginning a, a series of messages, we're calling it Generous. There's going to be a, a team of us over the next uh, month or so during this holiday season that, that are going to be sharing the word of the Lord with you guys. And it's, it's uh, to, to me, the greatest part of the year. I, I love the holiday season from Thanksgiving on through Christmas, New Year's, just an awesome time, family, um, so much joy. It's, it's cool to go to the mall and hear people singing over the intercom about Jesus, right? Joy to the world, the Lord has come. I just, I love this season. I love everything about it. Um, and so we're going to preach through this and uh, we're going to talk about generosity over the next several weeks. Um, it's a season of gift giving and ultimately it's a season when we celebrate the greatest gift of all, which is his son, Jesus Christ. Amen. And Jesus more than likely wasn't born on December 25th, but it's the day when the world really pauses and just takes note of the fact that he has come. Amen. And so we're going to begin. We're going to talk about thanks. This is weekend after Thanksgiving. So we're going to, we're going to start there. It's a great place to, to start. So I, I believe that wholeness, wholeness starts with gratitude and it ends in generosity. We're going to see that begin to unfold in this message today. So let's look at, at James, the book of James. I'm missing a verse in my notes. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians. You get that in the, in the notes, don't you? Let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. It's not in my notes. Somehow I, did, I forgot to put that in my notes, but it's, it's in the overhead. That's good. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to read verses 16 through 18. Three of the shortest verses in the Bible. Verse 16 simply says, Rejoice always. Rejoice always. Perpetual joy. Verse 17 says, Pray without ceasing. It's perpetual prayer. And verse 18, In everything, give thanks. There's per perpetual gratitude. So rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and in everything, give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. We're always looking to find the will of, of the Lord. Here it is, really simple. Really, really simple. Rejoice. Pray. And be grateful. This is the will of the Lord for us in Christ Jesus. Rejoice always. That's perpetual joy. Pray without ceasing. Perpetual prayer. And in all things, give thanks. That's perpetual gratitude. I, I, I find that, in, that these three things, joy, prayer, and gratitude, they always accompany each other. People of prayer are people who are grateful. They stop to acknowledge God in everything that they do. They're people of prayer. And so there's gratitude. And out of that relationship comes a wellspring of joy. These three things run together. Joy, prayer, and gratitude. And the writer here, he says to 
be grateful, to give thanks in all things. This passage makes me think of, of James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, <clears throat> that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Lacking nothing. Our text in First Thessalonians, it says to pray, or I'm sorry, to, to give thanks in all things. In all things. Can you give praise to God in all things? Can you show gratitude to God in all things? It's easy whenever things are going well, right? It's easy when you've got money in the bank, it's easy when you're employed. It's easy when you're healthy. It's healthy when, or it's easy when everything is going your way. But when things begin to turn, can you still give thanks? In hardships, in trials, in afflictions, can we still give thanks? This passage in James tells us that testing produces patience. It's only through patience that we can become perfect, complete, and whole. How many of you have ever been through tests? We, we all go through tests. Everybody that God loves is going to get tested. Everybody who God loves is going to get a test. Why? Because he wants us to grow. He wants us to come to this place of perfection. And that, that None of us have arrived yet, so that means you've got tests ahead, right? None of us are, are, are wholly complete. So that means there's more tests ahead, right? In, in God's kingdom, there is no such thing as a social promotion. You know what a social promotion is? I, I saw a social promotion when I was in high school. They showed up in the classroom that I was in, and they said you, to this young man, you, you've turned 21. It's now against the law for you to be on the high school campus, so here is your diploma. They graduated him because he turned 21. That is a social promotion. You know, we're going to put you in the eighth grade because you're 18, right? You can't, you can't stay in elementary school anymore. Those are social promotions, right? They, they promote you just because you're old enough, right? That doesn't happen in God's kingdom. The only way we advance in God's kingdom is to pass the test. We have to pass the test. We're going to go through trials. We're going to go through hardships, things that are uncomfortable. You guys have, have heard a lot of stories, either from me or from my wife, about some of the things that we have been through. I don't want to take a long time to do this, but just, just give you a little bit of a glimpse. In 2006, we moved from San Antonio, Texas, about 30 miles, to San Marcos, Texas, and we planted a church. We were sent out of our home church, and we, we went up there, and I'm going to tell you what, we, we just knew that we were going to be successful. You know why? Because everybody told us. We used to hear things like, if anybody can do it, Chad and Rachel can do it. Y'all are so talented, your wife can sing, all this stuff. They used to, I mean, they just puffed us up, all this good stuff. So we knew we were going to succeed. We, we knew that when we opened the doors, people were going to come by the hundreds. And said it was more like the ark. They came by the twos. About two every year, it seemed like. 
Planting a church was the best thing that I've ever done and the worst thing that I've ever done all rolled up in one. That's usually the way things in God's kingdom are. When God calls you to something, it's never easy. But there's always joy in it. There's always blessing. So we, we saw lean times. I was bivocational for the first seven years of our, our church planting lives. I worked usually about 40 to 50 hours a week in construction. I remember getting up at 3 o'clock in the morning to drive three hours to do a job, to drive three hours back to be home in time for 7 o'clock for our Bible study. I remember praying some of those days because I didn't have enough time to study. I remember praying for a word to share that night on the way back, the drive back home. There were, there were trying times. Rachel's talked about the times when I had to walk into the, the grocery store looking for money to have enough uh, uh, money to get milk or diapers or you name it. I, I would go through my suit pockets hoping I'd slip, to, slip some money in there or something. I would go through all my jeans. I'd uh, go in the car and get under the, the, the chairs in the car, the ashtray, everywhere that I, I knew I'd hid money at one point looking for enough money to get through the week until the payday. Right? How many of you have ever been through things like that? Then it, it wasn't always hard. We, we had a lot of success. We grew. We, we, we reached, I don't know, dozens and dozens of, of college students, families. We, we built a, a small congregation. There, there came an opportunity for us to merge with another church. And we took our group to this uh, community that was about 15 minutes away. They had a building. Their pastor had just passed away. There was a small group there. We, we plugged in there. They, they hadn't had live worship for for several years, they were playing videos on the video screen. And so we had a worship team with like, I don't know, six, seven musicians. We had a kids ministry. They hadn't had any kind of kids program. We plugged that in and we immediately began to grow. The church tripled in six months in attendance. We quadrupled our financial income in the church in six months. We saw growth. We, began, we sold a piece of property that the church owned and we began to renovate the building and uh, within... Uh, four months, we had completely remodeled, did a quarter million dollar remodel in our little sanctuary. Success. Then I found out in the middle of that that our board was, while I was running the job, remodeling the sanctuary, our board was conspiring against me. The man that wanted to be the pastor when the other pastor died was playing Absalom, I guess is the best way to say it. I learned what a Jezebel is. You know what a Jezebel is? Jezebel's the male version of it. <laughs> I learned all those things. I learned what it was for your secretary to betray you and undermine you. I learned what it is for a family in your church to throw your possessions in the dumpster, your, ki your kids' possessions in the dumpster, your family's possession in the dumpster because they decided they didn't like you. Because a board member was taking them out to lunch and buying things for them to get their affection and turn them against. Right. So have you ever been through trials? You know why that happened to me? Because God loves me. It was the best thing that ever happened to me. The people I thought that were going to destroy me propelled me into my future. And destiny. I ended up having to resign that church, but without that, I wouldn't have had the journey of coming to Kentucky. I would have never met Pastor Kurt Juzak and gone to spend those two years there. I would have never landed at return. I'd still be stuck in Texas. You see, God had a plan. God had a purpose, and he was working it out, right? You know how I got here? By giving thanks 
in every one of those seasons. You know what happened the day that after I resigned? We, so I resigned at noon. At 2 o'clock, they called me. I gave two weeks' notice. There was supposed to be a severance package. I was working with an attorney and all this thing, working through all that. They called me at 2 o'clock. I'd hand my resignation in at noon. They called me at 2 o'clock. They said, don't ever come back. We've rekeyed all the doors. We'll let you in to get your stuff. We went back to the church to get all of our possessions out. They video recorded and it had a legal pads marking down every item we took out of the building like we were thieves or something. You know what I did the day after we resigned? I went to bed, went to bed that night the way you would have went to bed. <laughs> Nasty, angry, bitter, hurt, feeling every human emotion you can imagine, feeling ripped off. I did some awful things that day. I punched the bed. I threw pillows across the house. Yelled at my wife. She yelled at me. <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> it was not a fun season. But you know what we did the next day? We sat down in the living room. We called names. We, we forgave everybody who had, had, had offended us. And we thanked God. And we moved on. Amen? That's what you got to do. So your boss gives you the pink slip. Sit down and thank God. The doctor gives you a bad report. Can you still thank God? You, you, you go to withdraw. I remember one Mother's Day going to the store to get flowers for, for my wife. I thought, I mean, I just deposited. This is Sunday morning. I just deposited my check. I thought, sure enough, there was money to get my wife some chocolate, some flowers. I, I go to the store. It's Sunday morning before church. I go to the cash register with all this stuff, and I swipe my, my debit card, and it says NSF, insufficient funds. Can you thank God when you don't have money? Can you keep thanking him? Can you keep serving him? Can you stay faithful? That's what God is calling us to. Do you remember the 10 lepers? Ten lepers, they went through a trial. Leprosy is not fun. They went through a trial. But how many, came, Jesus heals them. How many of them came back when Jesus healed them to say thank you? Only one. And I, I believe that Jesus' words to that one that came back to give thanks is very telling. It reveals something to him. What were Jesus' words to him? He said, your faith has made you whole. I don't believe that Jesus was talking about his physical body. Yes, he had been healed in his physical body. The other nine had been healed too. And Jesus didn't say that about the other nine. Jesus only said it about the one that came back to give thanks. Gratitude is a sign of wholeness. If you want to be whole, if you're tired of the void and the empty ache on the inside of your soul, it starts with gratitude. It stops by acknowledging God and saying, thank you for all that you are to me, all that you have done for me, all that you have given to me, even everything that I don't yet have. Thank you. That's where wholeness starts. I started this message by saying that wholeness begins in gratitude. It finds its, its outworking in generosity. It starts by us being grateful, and it ends in us being generous. These are signs that people are whole. Okay, let's take a look at another passage of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. 
It says, command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. We need to remember that. God has given us everything that we have. And if you are rich, you need to remember that. Don't get haughty. Don't get lifted up in yourself. You better be careful when you start saying you are a self-made man. You better be careful when you start saying, I did this. I got this. No, 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 no. Apostle Paul said, I am what I am, but by the grace of God. It's, I am an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was him that did it. I mean, Paul was a Christian killer. And God turned his life around and made him an apostle. Paul had nothing to do with that, right? And it didn't matter where you are in life, you had absolutely nothing to do with it. And by the way, that's, that's good. By, by the way, I want to say this, that every one of us in this building are rich. You are rich. If you, here, here's a statistic I saw this week. If you make $32,000 a year, you are in the top 3% of the world's population. If you make $32,000 a year, you are richer than 97% of the people living in this world. We are rich. We are blessed. Don't get lifted up in that. You better stay low. I, I heard a preacher during the IMA conference, he made a statement, it's just stuck with me. Stay as low as you can for as long as you can. I love that. Stay low. Don't get puffed up. Remember, it's God who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Let them do good. This is the commandment to those who are rich. Let them do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come, that they may lay hold on eternal life. If you're rich, this is what the scripture instructs you to do don't don't revel in the wealth that you have but do good works store up your treasures in heaven this is what what the, what paul is telling timothy here it needs to be done so let's talk for just a second let's go back and revisit this thing about being self-made if you're self-made you're in a dangerous place you know, God, God will let you get rich without him. He will. My wife often asks that question. Why, why, why does that person prosper? You know, he's wicked. David asked the question, right? Why, why do the wicked prosper? Why, why do these nasty, vile people have success? Why are they able to stockpile money, possessions, why? God, God will let them get rich. God will let you get rich. But you know what he says? He says that your richness, if, if you're self-made, if you're doing it on your own, your, your richness comes with leanness of soul. Think about that. Let, in fact, let's go, I wonder, this isn't, in the, this isn't in the notes, but let's look at Psalm 106. Here, here's a warning. Don't forget God. That's what gratitude's about. Don't forget God. 
Gratitude is simply stopping to acknowledge, Lord, thank you for who you are to me, for what you've done for me, for all that I have. Thank you for health. Thank you for life. Thank you for family. Thank you for possessions. Thank you for all that I have. Don't forget God. That's what ingratitude is. It's forgetting God, right? That he gave you everything you've got. Look at this, uh, Psalm 106, verse 13. It says, they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them their request. See, you can get rich without God. He gave them their request, but sent leanness into their souls. Think about that. You can get rich without God. You can do well for a season in this life without God, but it will pollute your soul. Your soul will be corrupt. So don't forget God. James chapter 1, verse 17 through 18, and I'm almost done here. It says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above. It comes down from the Father of lights. That's a reference to the God who made the universe. He made the stars. He made the sun. He, he, all the lights in the sky. He is the father of lights. And says every good and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. That, that speaks to the, immu the immutability of God. God doesn't change. Think about that. God's character, God's nature is unchanging, and he is light. We're going to see that again here in one more passage, but there's no variation in him. There's, there's no shadow of turning. You know what that says to me? God is good all the time. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from above, from the Father of lights, in whom is no variableness or shadow of turning. He doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he goes on, he says, of, of his own will, God brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. That, let, let, me, let, me, let me read one more passage and then we'll wrap up. Come back to that thought. First John chapter one says, this is the message which we have heard from him and declared to you that God is light, right? The father of lights. And him is no darkness at all. You think of that. There is absolutely no darkness in God. Yet, the Bible says he knows what's in darkness. Daniel said that of God, he knows what is in darkness. There is no darkness in him, but he knows what is in darkness. And, and, and Daniel goes on, he says that the, the darkness and the light are both the same to him. What's that mean? That God is not afraid of the dark. Because he is light. God's got night vision. You can turn all the lights out and he can still see you. Right? Why? Because he is light. He is light and there is no darkness in him at all. If we say that we have fellowship him, with him and walk in darkness, check yourself. 
If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. God is light. Think about that. I don't know how the world turns and all that kind of stuff. I've studied it in school. Can't, it, it, it's astounding. You think of how the world turns. And like I was, I was talking to Hilton the other day, and he was saying that um, Christmas is in summertime in South Africa. That is just peculiar to me. Right? But if, if, if you go like to Alaska or the North Pole in the summer, there, there, there are times when it never gets dark. Think about that. You think about that. The, the father of lights with him, it is always light. Now, when you get down here, North America, South America, towards the equator, right? There, there are seasons as the world turns and it gets dark. But I want to say this. If you ever get to a place of darkness, it has nothing to do with God. Because God is light, and there is no darkness in him. So if you get to a place of darkness, it's because you have turned. That's what John's talking about here. right? God is light, he says. There's no darkness in him at all. And if you say that you have fellowship with him, but walk in darkness, you're lying and don't practice the truth. So what do we need to do? What do we need to do when we find ourselves walking in darkness? We've got to turn back to the light. How do we do that? We say thank you. We acknowledge God in gratitude. We turn back to him. Ingratitude literally is turning our back on God. And so if we're walking in darkness, we have to turn around. We have to turn back to the light. If we're seeing shadows, it's because we've got our back to God. So what do we need to do? We need to give thanks. Giving thanks points us back to God. It's simple. It's simple. Will you stand with me? We're going to receive communion here in just a minute, but I want to take some time and I want to pray. I want us to refocus. I want us to turn back towards the Lord. I want us to stand together and I want us to thank God. Don't just play lip service this morning, but I want you from the bottom of your heart to just begin to thank God. Think of his goodness. Go ahead, right where you're at. Just begin to pray and thank God. Lord, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for who you are. Father, you are awesome, mighty, powerful. You wrought a mighty work at Calvary. 
and saved us and delivered us, brought healing and transformation, life and light to us, O God. Lord, we acknowledge who you are to us, O God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that you even care about us, Lord God. Who are we that you are concerned with us? Lord, we just thank you and we praise you, O God. Father, we thank you for what you have done in our lives, O God, the work of salvation and redemption, the work of sanctification, O God. Father, we thank you for it. We thank you for your provision, O God. We thank you for our family, for our loved ones. We thank you for our church family. We thank you for, Lord, our, our jobs, our homes, our cars, all of our possessions, Lord God. And we acknowledge that it's you that has done it, Lord God. You are our provider. You are our source. You are our strength, our sustenance. Everything that we are and everything that we have is because of you. You are our creator, oh God. You designed us and you brought us into this life, oh God. And we thank you for it, oh God. We thank you. We thank you. We thank you, God. We thank you. Doesn't it feel good to give thanks? It does. Before we move on to communion, I want to ask this question. Is there anybody in this room that really wants to turn to God today? Maybe you've not been walking with him. Maybe you've never acknowledged him as your Lord and as your Savior. Maybe you've never entered into that relationship with him. Is there anybody that would want to do that today? Begin a walk with Jesus. Amen. I'm going to ask our ushers to come and prepare to serve the communion. They can just come down to the front. Church, I'm going to read this passage about communion. First Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. For I received from the Lord that which... I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks he broke it and said take eat this is my body which was broken for you do this in remembrance of me in the same manner he also took the cup after supper, saying, The cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats and drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty the body and the blood of the Lord. I want to I read this. Just think about what's being said here because this is an awesome and an awful thing that we're doing. When I, when I say awful, I mean in the sense of all. I want to bring that back to a balance here in a second. We, we, we should stand in fear before God when we take communion. And I want to bring that back in balance in just a second with the next few verses. 
Let's read this one more time. Therefore, whoever eats this bread and drinks this cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. So that's why I say we should stand in awe and fear when we do this. Now, I say I want to bring that into balance. One time I was in a church where they, they drove that point so hard and so far that I felt myself as a minister of the gospel felt unworthy to take communion. And that's not what it's about. We can go way too far with that. But I do think we need a sense of awe, a sense of wonder. And then we need to examine, and it says this here as we read through this passage, as we continue to read. But let every man examine himself. So let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge, check this out, if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord that we may not be condemned. There it is right there. There's therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We may not be condemned with the world. Here's the point that I want to make. Every time we take communion, we should go to another level. We should go to a new place of intimacy with the Lord. We should go to a new place of productivity in our walk. Fruitfulness. Because it's an opportunity for us to examine our hearts. Examine our lives. We, this is an opportunity for you to make sure that your walk with the Lord is right. And that you're not taking it unworthily. It's time for you to repent. It's time for you to turn back to the light. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Lord, I pray that you would shine the light of your Holy Spirit in our hearts. If there's anything in our lives that are out of order, Lord, unforgiveness, if we've sinned against you or if we've sinned against our brother, reveal it to us. Prompt us, Lord, that we we can make it right, that we can repent and turn of our sins. Father, I pray that in this moment that you would draw us draw us closer change us work in us and make us more like your son Jesus I thank you for it I give you praise for it in your mighty name just one second these things are convenient but they're also tricky significant the body of Christ broken Isaiah said he was wounded for our transgressions bruised for our iniquity his sin was placed our, our sin was placed upon him he who knew no sin his body was broken for our sins they pierced his hands his feet they pierced his side 
did it for us. Take the bread. The cup of the new covenant. A better sacrifice. Better than the blood. Bulls and goats. The precious blood of the Lamb of God spilt for us. The cup of the new covenant. Only by grace can we enter. Only by grace can we stand. Not by our human Transgression 